As you're turning there, I would like to say thank you to the church for allowing us to be here and would like to say thank you to Pastor Kyle and and Tressa and their family for being such gracious hosts. Uh, I know I didn't mention this yesterday, but we got in pretty early in the morning on Friday. It was about 3 a.m. Texas time and about 2 a.m. Montana time. And as soon as we got into the uh, loft, uh, we were greeted by a an abundance of goodies, all kinds of goodies in uh, cookies and potato chips and popcorn and chocolate-covered uh, yumminess. And uh, we really do appreciate that a bunch, as well as the uh, meals that we've been able to share with your pastor. And I uh, really appreciate uh, the faithfulness that Kyle and Tressa have shown and excited about the course that the Lord has led them on to bring them here to you in Whitehall. And I remember him as a, as a teenager that had a zeal to serve the Lord. And I can see that passion is still there. Uh, he's a devoted father, a devoted husband, and he loves uh, the Lord and I am grateful to call him a friend and honored uh, some months ago when he called me just totally out of the blue and said, hey, uh, talk to a mutual friend of ours and uh, your name came up and I just thought I'd call and talk to you. And I appreciated that. And as we began uh, to interact, uh, God laid on his heart to set aside these days that we could look at God's word and see how from his help we can turn our trials into treasures. And I know many of you were here last night, and I want to say thank you for coming back. I, as a speaker, as a guest, it's great to have people back. Uh, And so thank you for doing that. But I am just desirous for God to do something great. And in our conversations uh, over the phone even in person, and even talking to uh, 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 several folks after church last night, and even an area pastor this afternoon, that the norm in dealing with the difficulties and trials of life is really no different than the way that people who don't know the Lord deal with them. There's really not a lot of difference And that grieves me. It breaks my heart. Because God has such a bigger life for us. Because He's such a big God. And He desires to do a work that at times we view as impossible. But as He told us when He was here on earth physically, that He does the impossible. And so whereas when we face difficulties and trials, whether by our own choice or someone else's, those circumstances more than likely are not going to change. Life still will be what it is. That difficulty will still be there. But what can and what should change 
is me. And last night, we talked about how it is that God wants us in the midst of our trials and the devastation of life, that he wants us to continue to live. And the best way to continue to live is to look to the Lord and ask him, God, now what? Now what do you want me to do? I still have life to live, and you have a, a life you wish for me to live, you desire for me to live, and you are my source that I can get everything that I need to fill the voids that these difficulties have created. And so as we begin to continue to leave, that brings us to the next step. And as I mentioned to you last night, the second step is the most difficult. Surviving can be very primal. Doing what you have to do just to breathe and take one step at a time to deal with life is life. Doing it well to, in order to produce a testimony that is beautiful to the Lord is a different matter. But just as on August 23rd, 2005, Hurricane Katrina blew into the Gulf Coast of Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, leaving in its wake 1,300 plus dead, over $150 billion worth of damage. And hundreds upon thousands of people became homeless overnight. After the storm had passed, those who had sheltered uh, away returned. Those who uh, sheltered in place and found a way to survive began to see what was left of the life that they once knew. Many of them had survived, but now they had to choose to clean up. All all of us and any of us who have faced difficulties and trials in our lives, once we... Uh, receive the the help, the strength uh, to begin to move forward with our lives, realize quickly that things in our life, things in the situation are a mess. And the most painful process is going through the damage, the leftovers, the carnage, and finding all of what our life once was. The memories that we had, the relationships that were once there, were faced with the reality of having to clean up the mess that the trial had created. I'm not a builder or contractor, but I'm smart enough to realize 
that if you're going to rebuild something, you first have to clear the land and make sure the foundation is firm. Failure to do so would create a situation that what building would be there in the future would be very unstable. And so many people who face difficulty in their life feel that once they choose to survive and move forward in their life and continue to live, they think, okay, I'm good. They begin to now rebuild their life. Unfortunately, being blind to the reality of the mess that is their life. Failure to do so will ensure the same trial, if not worse, will come our way in the future. Many years ago, Abraham Lincoln, during the height of the Civil War, found solace in a small church in the downtown Washington, D.C. area. Whenever he could, he would walk the two or three blocks from the White House to the church, enjoy a service there, and then return. One Wednesday night, he and an aide of his took the walk from the White House to the church, and as his practice, slipped into the service after it had begun. Being the President of the United States at a time of war, he didn't want to disrupt the service Uh, by coming in and drawing attention to himself. And so he would wait till the service had begun and he would slip into the rear, find a seat, sit down, take his big top hat and place it in his lap. That night, he heard a message from the pastor. After the pastor had finished the sermon, he began the invitation And as his practice, when everyone stood to uh, then uh, sing a hymn of invitation, respond, he would then exit the building and head back to the White House, which he did. On his two or three block walk back to the White House, the young man, the young aide that was with him, asked him what he thought of the message. President Lincoln responded by saying it was a well-delivered and well-prepared message. The aide responded by asking the question, so you thought it was a success? And he said, no, I believe he failed. With an inquisitive look on his face, the aide asked, why so? President Lincoln looked at the young aide and said, because he did not ask us to do anything difficult or great. Tonight, God is going to ask you to do something difficult. Maybe the most difficult situation or choice you will ever make in your life. 
dealing with the hurt that comes from the trials of life can be a very complicated and difficult matter. But God gives us help. Let's take a look here in Ephesians chapter number 4. Let's begin in verse number 1. So Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, writes, Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Here the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church not to walk worthy of a job that they have, but a call in which God has given them. A call in which God may have given you in this room. And that call is the call of salvation. He is encouraging the Ephesian believers to live their life in such a way that they would be worthy of the salvation that God has given to them. In other words, that their life would be a testimony of the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, states that within salvation is everything that a person needs to deal with any difficulty of life. Because once we come to the realization that we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, and God Himself has cleansed us from our sin, He has taken the punishment from our sin upon Himself and given us access, eternal life, to heaven. Once we understand that, that unlocks not just the, 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 the uh, promise of the future of salvation, but the present of salvation. And the present of salvation is that because of Christ, the power of sin has been dealt with. We are no longer slave to the sin that once told us what to do. When our bodies once told us to say something, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we no longer have to say that. When our bodies once told us to think something, after salvation we no longer have to think that way. When our body desires something, before salvation we had to do that. We were slave to our sin. But after we trust Christ as our Savior, He frees us from that. We do not have to give in to the power of sin. We are delivered from that. And in being delivered from the power of that sin, that enables us to walk worthy, to live a life that shows that uh, what we do, what we believe, what we think is different than what we once were. Some people's testimonies are more stark than others. Some have been brought out of the muck and mire of some addiction or some difficulty or some horrible, horrible situation. Others have been raised in a Christian home who have had lots of privileges that some may not have had. And they would look at their testimony and say, I don't have much of a testimony. 
That is not true. The fact of the matter is that sin, whether it is in this side or that side, is sin. And whatever it is, uh, our testimony is, and what God brought us out of to bring us to salvation, the fact of the matter is, we do not have to live underneath the power of sin. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're free. You've been liberated. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And so here the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church to walk worthy of the salvation that God had provided them. Then it gets real. Look in verse number 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. Here we go. Forbearing. What are the next two words? One another. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I know a little Greek, but I looked up the word forbearing, and it's an interesting word. The word forbearing means to. Put up with. That's the literal definition of the Greek word. And so here, he encourages us of our freedom in Christ. And then he says, all right, the way you show that is by putting up with each other. I think it's rather... uh, obvious that the majority of the hurts and the trials and the difficulties of our life come because of us. Whether that's me or whether that's you. Whether that's you choose that for yourself or someone else's choice collides with your life. You don't believe that? Just spend a few moments in the church nursery. (laughs) You have little Junior sitting in the corner playing with his car there, and everyone looks in there and says, Oh, he's such a sweet little boy. He's so good. Look at him. He's just playing so content with, you know, his car. And then you put Billy in there with him, and sweet little Junior turns into something else as soon as Billy says, can I play with the toy? And then what happens? WrestleMania 2023. As Billy and Junior converge on the toy, right? But it's not just in the nursery. It's in the home. whether it's husband and wife, parents and children, brothers and sisters, extended family, it's in the church. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. 
but in some cases and in some ministries. Somebody on this side doesn't talk to somebody on this side. Somebody on that side doesn't talk to somebody on this side. Pastor Kyle just told me a story about that on the way here. Not here, but somewhere else. (laughs) How that's true. Somebody said something. Somebody did something. Somebody did us wrong. What they said hurt. What they did hurt, an abuse of some sort. And so we're reminded that we need to walk worthy of the salvation that we've been given. And one way to do that is to put up with each other in love. So you may ask, easier said than done, how do you do that? How do you do that? Okay? So, <clears throat> let's just create a scenario here, shall we? Alright, so you have, um, you have husband who cheats on wife. Commits adultery. Okay? Society looks at it and says, awful, horrible, bad. The Bible says it's wrong, it's not good, it's sin. Okay? And so, you have husband who hurts wife. There's the scenario. Devastation in the home. Um, you have child who is abused by grandfather. Uh, for many years. Overreaching and taking the innocence of a child. Okay? Wrong. Horrible. Not good. Uh, You have church member who has a juicy piece of information about another church member. And so they begin the rumor mill. They jump on social media, and they begin to spread the hurt. These are real world scenarios. You have person who's at work, who is mistreated in different ways by their supervisor. How do you deal with it? Well, naturally, we want to fight back. Naturally, we want to do uh, what was done to us. But God gives to us a formula, a process that helps us to say, okay, here's the mess. We've got to clean it up. And that Help is in verse number 25. Down in verse number 25. I'm sorry, verse number uh, 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, the way we deal with this is we put off in order to put on. We clean the mess in order to have success, to move forward. And so, what do we put off? We put off the way our body wants to respond. We put off naturally the way we think. And we have to put on a renewed mind. So, the natural response when someone hurts us or someone provokes us is to do what? Fight back. You poke me, I'm going to poke you. I mean, it's in the Bible, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? But what did Jesus say? He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He gave to us two commandments that we could take the entire Bible and basically comprise it into those two commandments. One, love God. And the other one, love your neighbor. Question, is your neighbor always your friend? Sometimes your neighbor's your foe. And sometimes your foe is part of your family. Might be the person you're sleeping next to. Could be a person sleeping down the hall. Might be someone that your uh, cubicle is right next to. And so in order for us to clean up the mess, we have to do things differently. The Bible tells us that we should not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so when there's a fire, in order to put the fire out, what do we do? Go get more fire? No, we need something to counteract that. And so just as silly as it would be for me to have gone out with uh, Pastor Kyle and Miss Tressa and their kiddos and my wife Tara up to the mountain and we had a big time and we were out in, in, in the hot sun and we were sweaty and... and uh, um, I'm sure had a very unique odor. And so, if I would have just kept my clothes on and ran up to the loft and and then said, oh, I've got to get my church clothes on. And I would put my... uh, gray slacks over my jeans and I would take, you know, my uh, Oxford here and put it over my shirt and then I would just comb my hair and I would uh, come to church. I would preach. Then, after the service is over, fellowship a little bit, go back to the loft, jump in bed, get up the next morning with both pairs of clothes on, Get ready for the day. I go and get another pair of jeans and I slide into them if I could fit. Take on another shirt and put it on the top over that one. Button it up. Comb my hair a little bit. 
Go throughout the day. Hang out. Enjoy some fellowship with Pastor Kyle and Miss Tressa and my wife, their kids. Come to church on Sunday morning, preach. The afternoon, put more clothes on. I think you get the process. After a while, people aren't going to want to be around me. Because... After about two, three, four weeks, I'm going to appear very strange because I'm going to have on about 15 or 20 layers of clothes. And if you get close to me downwind, you might catch something that is not very appetizing. But that's what many Christians do. They just cover it up. They just put on, put on, put on, put on, put on, put on, and that's why we have to put up with them. But God has a better way. You see, He wants us to put off. That means we have to be vulnerable. And then we have to do the process of cleaning. And the idea of the word put off there means to put aside. It does carry the idea of a garment that is taken off and put away. And so what we have to realize is that there are ways in which we think that are not helpful to us in dealing with difficulty. And we need God's help provided to us by salvation to reprogram our mind. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, that Ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable which which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed, changed. We're changed when we put off that old way of thinking, when we take off when we put aside that thinking to put on a new way of looking at life, put on a new way of honoring uh, the the Lord. If you would look up uh, in verse number... um, Verse number... Let's see here. 12. Sorry, verse uh, 14. So he's encouraging us, Paul is, about this salvation and those who can help us with it, that henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine 
by the slight of men and the cunning and craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Look down in verse 17. This I say, brethren, and testify that the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Lasciviousness just carries the idea of doing whatever you want, doing whatever comes natural. So when we go through difficulty, someone hurts us, the way we view it tends to be the way society views it or the way that we feel we should respond to it. But that is not always the way God wants us to view it. And so when the spouse is unfaithful, when the boss is overbearing, when <clears throat> you deal with family tragedy, yes, there may be legalities involved that need to be Uh, communicated and dealt with, yes. But that's just the first step because you have the cleanup of the mess that the person created. And so how are we to deal with that? What are we to do? What is the better way to do with it? Well, the, the, the final answer to that, and I'm done, is in the latter part, of the verse, or of the chapter. Look down in verse number uh, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So here is where it gets hard. So the Apostle Paul is saying, put off and put on. So what are we to put off in this particular case? We are to put off the bitterness. Bitterness is something that each and every one of us at one level or another will face. In the trial that um, the Lord allowed me to walk through, many years ago, I had to consciously make a choice. I had to consciously ask myself a question. And that question was, do I really want to become the very thing that hurt me? Do I want to become the very thing that hurt me? I realized that should I not deal with the trial that I was facing in the appropriate and right way, in a God-honoring way, I would eventually become that which hurt me. You've heard it. Hurt people. There's lots of folks that drag around their life all kinds of emotional baggage. They bring it into their house, they dump it 
in their living room. They bring it into the church. They dump it in the living or in, 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 the, in the sanctuary. They dump it in the pastor's office. They, they carry around so much that God is desiring for them to unpack. The hurt, the words, the actions, the situations. So I realized very early on that if I didn't deal with these things correctly, I would become that. And what I had to deal with was the bitterness that was in my own heart. The Bible tells us that the word bitterness is an interesting word. It means um, a poisoned peg. That's the literal definition of the word. A poisoned peg. And it carries the idea of a pungent poison or powerful poison. And if you think about it like this, if you would take a <clears throat> splinter and you would have some poison in it and it would get put into your hand, into your arm, into a finger and it would inject that poison in there and if it would be allowed to remain, it would be very dangerous to one's life. It could cause lots of damage, or eventually death. And bitterness is a deadly, powerful poison. It's like taking a peg in someone's words or someone's actions, and it has pounded that into one's mind, into one's memory, and it is there. And many people look at that Hear that, feel that each and every day. As the poison of that uh, event, that trial, that offense, that hurt courses through their, their life. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 17, it is impossible but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone be hung around his neck and him cast into the sea than for him to offend one of these little ones. And so Jesus was stating the obvious that just the, the, the course of human nature that people's lives and, and words and actions collide and as they do, they cause offenses. They cause pain. They cause hurt. That's life. He warns that if you are a person that has caused the hurt, you are a person who has caused the pain, you have a responsibility before God. And that is to do what's right by the situation. And I think it would be disingenuous for me to uh, deal with the ones who are hurt and not deal with those who have been who are hurting who have or who are hurting others maybe you have committed adultery maybe you have abused someone maybe you have uh, lied or cheated maybe you have done something to someone that was offensive have you made it right If you haven't, you need to. 
That is your responsibility. And Jesus warns, you offend somebody, I mean, better for you that a millstone be hung around your neck and you cast in the sea than for you to offend one of these little ones. Little in the faith or children. Solomon says, hey, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And his contentions are stronger than the bars of a castle. So when you offend someone, that's a tough, that's a tough pill. It's a tough situation. And so many people say, I've tried, but they won't listen. And so I've apologized. I'm done. And someone's comfort and reciprocation in the relationship becomes more important than the relationship itself. In other words, they're being very selfish. Instead of saying, okay, I offended this person, I have to turn over the ideas of respect and trust and forgiveness to them. Because I've lost those things. But to those who have been offended, and uh, uh, those who have had that poisoned uh, egg that has been pounded into your life, the Bible tells us here that we need to put that away. Why? He goes on to show us a very sinister regression. Paul says, let all bitterness, that's the offense, that's the unresolved offense that is, is in someone's life, let all bitterness and wrath, the word wrath is an interesting word, it just means to breathe heavy. And so when someone's name is mentioned, when someone remembers something, what happens? That person walks into the room. Maybe you get the growl going. That comes from the bitterness. And that bitterness turns into wrath. And wrath into anger. Anger carries the idea of hatred. And this is where, you know, the breathing heavy, the, the thinking about the situation, one musing about it, and, you know, some people are, are, are just stuck sifting through the rubble of their life and all they can think about is what was said and what was done and this memory and that memory and this memory and that memory and this happened there and that happened there and, 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 and all they do is think, 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 think about the situation and they're stuck. It's like pause. Their, their life has been frozen and, and on that peg that's coursing that poison through their veins. They're thinking about it and they begin in their mind I don't like that person. And they plot. Man, I wish something bad would happen to them. 
You know, they deserve this. They said this to me. They did that to me. That's not right. They got by with it. That's not good. And the wrath turns to anger, hate. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Bitterness, wrath, and anger are internal. And sooner or later, all of that pent-up energy, if you call it that, seeks as it begins to build and build and build and build to be released. And clamor just means outcry. This is where all of that hurt begins to come out. And people tell things and say things about the person, the situation that hurt them to gain allies and buddies and pals so they can form an alliance against the one that hurt them. Their name is mentioned immediately. Oh, well, you know what they did to me? Or I don't like that person. Well, you know what they did? Oh, I just hope something bad happens to them. All of that begins to be spewed out. You've been around someone who's been bitter. You ask them, are you okay? I'm fine. Oh, you are? Okay. Or, oh, what's wrong? Nothing. Why are you you so upset? You wouldn't understand. All of that hurt is coming out. And, you know, let me stop right here and and say this. You know, when it comes to marriage and relationships, if husband or wife is that irritated and agitated, maybe you should take a step back and look and see, wow, there's a reason something's going on here. How can you help? How can you encourage them? Have you done something? Should you breach a conversation, begin a conversation that would try to help them to communicate the hurt so that it can be dealt with and put away? But here he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, that's just blasphemy. They're downing everybody, everything, nothing's good, life is bad, horrible, you're around them, they've got the 50 layers of clothes on, they stink to high heaven. It's totally obvious to everyone around them, but they're nose blind. Just like Paul warned them, don't be blind about dealing with things that the way the world deals with it. We have a different way. God freed you from sin. You do not have to be slave to it. You can't put it off. And so he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And malice is the extreme end of things. Malice carries the idea of unrestrained evil. This is where uh, the situation would take a very dark turn to murder. 
Or on the other end, suicide. This is where the hurt that has been inflicted begins to express itself in a very violent way. This is, in my personal opinion, I am not a psychologist, I am not a psychiatrist, I am not a medical doctor, I am not a counselor, I am a preacher, but in my personal opinion, this is where a lot of these issues that take place in these mass shootings and other issues take place. There has been an offense of some sort, and they are acting out in violence. That's an opinion. That was free. That's not Bible. I have no uh, any uh, statistical proof to prove that. I'm just being honest with you. But that is my opinion. You can disagree. You may have more uh, statistical information. You can share with me afterwards. I, that's fine. I'm just telling you. If bitterness goes undealt with, it creates problems. And it begins to destroy you and the situation and the hurt that you've experienced is what you say you hate, is what you say you don't want to have in your life. But yet each and every moment of, of the day, or parts of the day, or when you see someone, or you see something, or you hear something, it immediately comes to your mind. And that's where you dwell. In the situation that you hate with all your heart. Paul says, put it away. The word put away there is different than the one in verse 17, in verse 23, and verse 25. In verse 31, the word put away means to weigh anchor. That means weigh anchor. If you're in a boat, what do you do? You pull the anchor up. When you're ready to do what? Leave. And so, that unresolved offense, that's what bitterness is, has to be pulled out. And the only way to pull it out is in verse 32. And be kind one to another. Remember, one another. Put up with. Be kind one to another. tender-hearted, someone hurts you, they cause you pain, they put you in a situation of financial problems, whatever it may be, they steal your money, they lie to you, they break into your home, uh, an accident on the highway due to their uh, indiscretions or foolishness or stupidity, whatever it may be. Hard-hearted. I'm going to hate that person. They did this to me. They took my kids away from me. They put me in the poorhouse. They fired me. They rejected me. They told me I wasn't good enough. Hard-hearted. And Paul says here, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We know the Lord's Prayer, right? 
We can get all pious. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and deliver us from evil. You know, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us, right? For thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We know all that, right? But do you realize that Jesus himself only qualified one part of the Lord's Prayer? You look it up. He said, if you don't forgive those who have trespassed against you, God's not going to forgive you your trespasses against him. So my question to you is, if God forgave you like you deal with the bitterness towards someone else, would you be forgiven? I told you that I was going to ask you to do something difficult. They don't deserve it! They took my innocence! They left me. They ruined my life. What did our sin do to Jesus? And how much of our sin did he forgive us of? You see, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to forgive the people that have hurt us. We can't do it. It's not in us. That's why we need to go to the source. That's why we need to realize what Jesus has done for us in saving us from our sin. That he has given us everything. According to First Peter, Second Peter, the Bible says he's given us everything that pertains unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us unto glory and virtue. And we can forgive those who've hurt us. I will say this and I'll be done. Forgiveness is different than accountability. Forgiveness is not trust. And forgiveness is not, res- is not respect. However, by means of forgiveness, through accountability, one can earn trust and gain respect. And so when we forgive someone, that doesn't mean that they become completely exonerated. That doesn't mean they get by with it. All it means is you are taking the hurt that they have inflicted upon you and saying, God, I'm not holding on to it anymore. I'm not going to hold that over their head. I'm giving it to you. You're the judge. You're the revenger. You forgave me of all my sin. 
You have given me the ability to do for others what you've done for me. And I am not going to allow this hurt, bitterness, this devastation to keep me from rebuilding my life. I'm not going to do it. So the Bible tells us that God puts our sins behind his back and you know he remembers them no more. And so I've asked this, one of those dumb, stupid theological questions. Can an omniscient God forget anything? You know, it's like one of those dumb questions like, well, can a God make a rock big enough he can't move? <clears throat> you know, those dumb questions. Well, does an omniscient God forget anything? Well, no, that's not the point. The point is that he takes our transgressions and he puts them behind his back. You ever had an itch in the middle of your back? Can you get to it? No, you either have to have a Tara who will, who will say, sweetheart, will you come scratch my back? Or, you know, some sort of back scratcher, right? And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to put them in a place where we're, they're not visible and we're not sitting there holding them over that person, that situation's head, but we're putting them away. We're saying, God, they're yours. They're not mine. I do not have the capacity to live my life through this hurt. You have freed me from this hurt. Whoever wrote Hebrews tells us that bitterness can turn into immorality quickly. And that's usually what happens. If you don't deal with bitterness, you say, well, you know, I've, I've been bitter for a long time, but I haven't killed anybody yet. Not physically. Maybe in here and in here a few times. But the Bible tells us that Esau was bitter and he became a fornicator. And with the course that I took and the trial that I faced, I didn't want bitterness to lead me to murder somebody or to become the very thing that hurt me. So if I can ask you a question tonight in closing, do you want to become the very thing that hurt you? Then by God's grace and God's help, will you put it away tonight? Let's bow for prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the invitation tonight is very simple. I'm not going to ask for a come forward invitation. But I'm going to ask tonight, if God spoke to your heart, and there's some bitterness that